step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I want to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart right now. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a pre-born baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. We've partnered with Preborn because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's network of clinics rescues 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. The doubles a baby's chances at life. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a little baby is able to suck his or her thumb. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life or death of a child. And if you're a business owner, perhaps you can consider a larger donation for a write-off because we know the government isn't working on saving babies. A donation of 1000 2000 20000 all gifts are tax deductible and will reach eternity. Get involved today to donate just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250. Say the keyword baby or donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict. Two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? Well, you could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run big appliances like your fridge even longer. And best of all, the new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans already trust Patriot Power Generators. So go to the number four, patriots.com slash verdict to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included for free. Go right now to the number four, patriots.com slash verdict. So a couple years ago, I hit 40 years old, and man, did things change. I didn't have the same strength and vitality that I had before, and I didn't have what I wanted, and that was the ability to work out and have a blast doing it. So then the pounds started packing on. Well, thank goodness I found Chalk, C-H-O-Q, and they're helping real American men just like you maximize your masculinity by boosting your testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. Now, I've been taking the Chalk Vitality Stack for over a year now, and not only am I working out, I've now lost 50 pounds. So if you're ready to maximize your masculinity today, go to Chalk, C-H-O-Q.com, and use promo code BEN for a massive discount on any Chalk subscription for life. C-H-O-Q.com, code BEN, limited time offer. Subscription is cancelable at any time. Chalk.com. There have been very few things harder to achieve in foreign policy, maybe nothing harder to achieve in foreign policy, than peace in the Middle East. Nobody was able to see that coming. And yet, just this past week, we have had an historic deal for peace in the Middle East and 
we happen to have a guy who was there for all of it. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. Senator, I have to point out that this past week we've seen not just one, but two historic milestones, a pathway to peace in the Middle East and episode 50 of Verdict with Ted Cruz. I, I don't know which one is more historic. Look, it's been 50 episodes, and I, and I got to say, you know, when it was clear to me you weren't paying attention is when the fellow came up with a little clicky thing and said episode 50. Well, what's that called, by the way, the clicky thing? It's what's called the clicky thing, actually. Okay. That's the technical term for it. Yeah. And, and you apparently had no idea, so you weren't listening to him when he said episode 50. I've my eyes glazed over, uh, absolutely, because... I was I was focusing on this other, I suppose, more minor historic milestone, uh, peace in the Middle East. World peace. Uh, you, you, you know, I, I just think you need to reexamine your priorities, Michael. <laughs> You're right. Absolutely. Well, I wasn't there. I wasn't there for the Abraham Accord yep. at the White House. You've got President Trump, Bibi Netanyahu, leader of Bahrain, leader of the United Arab Emirates. What makes this historic and what happened? So the Abraham Accords, they were signed this past week, and uh, the signing was on the South Lawn of the White House. Yep. So I was there, and then they had uh, chairs set up outside. It was a beautiful September day, probably 70 degrees outside. I mean, it was as pretty a day as you ever see in Washington. And there are a number of us gathered on these little white wooden folding chairs, and, and out, uh, out from the White House comes the president, comes Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, and then the foreign minister of the UAE and the foreign minister of Bahrain. Yeah. And, and they each give speeches um, and then they sit at a table down below and each of them signs the agreement. And what has happened is both the UAE and Bahrain have normalized relationships with Israel. In other words, they're treating Israel just like any other country. Yeah. And that's a big damn deal. Hmm. Um. This is the first time an Arab country has normalized relations with Israel in, in 26 years. The last time was 1994, Jordan. Okay, what, what about before that? Uh, before that was Egypt, 1978, Camp David. Wow. So this doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And, and I think it's an extraordinary step forward in terms of bringing peace to the region, but also peace globally. Because, look, for a long time, the Middle East has been a powder keg yeah. and diffusing the tensions. And it, and it was really fitting. The Bahrain peace was announced on September 11th. Uh, mm. and, I, and I pointed out, I s said, you know, there are few greater acts of revenge we can have on the terrorists who committed that horrific attack on September 11th than, than to bring about peace in the Middle East and make help make Jews and Arabs and Americans friends. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you mentioned 1978. So we've been working on peace in the Middle East since at least the Carter administration, I suppose, further back than that. And I, I know this is probably a simple question, but I, I think sometimes when we think about our own domestic problems, we do wonder this, which is why is America always trying to broker peace in the Middle East? Why do we care? Well, Israel is a unique country. Yeah. It, it is the world's only Jewish nation. Uh, it was founded in 1948, so it's just over 70 years old, um, 72. And it, you look at 1948, it was coming out of World War II. It was coming out of the Holocaust, six million Jews being murdered by the Nazis. 
And, and, and the state of Israel was formed for many reasons. One, the, the historical connection of the Jewish people uh, to Judah and Samaria and to, to the land of Israel, but, but also to ensure that, that never again would something like the right. Holocaust happen, that there would always be a Jewish state uh, where, where Jews could be, be safe and, and, and avoid persecution. Uh, now, when Israel was formed in 1948, the Arab nations all declared war. Yeah. And right. there was war after war after war. Um, it was not something that happened happily. It's yeah. not that their, their neighbors did not celebrate, to put it mild. And, you know, you think about it, UAE and Bahrain are, are nearby neighbors who until this week didn't recognize Israel. Because, because some people have been saying, well, it's not a peace deal because the UAE and Bahrain, they've never been in open war with Israel. So, oh, you know, guys, look, it's not a big deal. Forget about it. OK, th and that's just a weird argument. Listen, Democrats are scrambling because uh, President Trump helping broker a peace deal in the Middle East really counteracts their narrative yeah. as him as the embodiment of everything that is terrible in the world. Right. Um. And so there's a combination. Joe Biden, when the UAE deal broke, he said, well, this is really the culmination of his work. And, <laughs> and, and so it's convenient. You know, it's a big deal if Biden's trying to take credit for it. Yeah. Um, and then the other sort of Democratic talking point is, well, it's not that important because they weren't actively in a state of war firing missiles at each other. They didn't recognize each other. They didn't acknowledge the Arab states, UAE and Bahrain, didn't acknowledge that it, that Israel existed as a nation, as a Jewish state. Yeah. And I think it's important to pause and reflect how this came about, because part of the reason that we're seeing the left, both the media and the academic world and Democrats, pushing back so hard on this is these Abraham Accords are the culmination of a very, very different approach Trump took than Obama-Biden. And the Obama-Biden approach doesn't work. Yeah. And the approach we've taken the last four years does. Well, th this is the issue. I remember when Barack Obama was running, and this was 2008, people told me if, if I voted for John McCain, we'd get more wars in the Middle East, which was true. I voted for John McCain and we got more wars in the Middle East, even though Barack Obama got elected. We haven't had one of these peace deals in 26 years, right? So what did they do wrong and what did Trump do right? Because we were told Trump was going to lead to World War III. Yeah, and, and, and to some extent, those are, are, are different issues or they're parallel issues. I, mm -hmm. I do think too many Democrats, including the Clintons, including Hillary, and too many Republicans, including John McCain, mm -hmm. Uh, had been too eager to get us in into wars, hmm. had, had been too eager to use U.S. military force. And I think that that has been an important and worthwhile shift the last four years is to be much more restrained uh, in terms of what, what we when we get into foreign entanglements, yeah. um, to, to use a phrase from George Washington. Right. Um, with respect to Israel, I think there were two decisions early on in the first year uh, of the Trump administration that really set the stage for this. And, and they were intertwined. I think these are the two most important foreign policy decisions President Trump has made. The first was moving the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Yeah. Now, we had our embassy in Tel Aviv. Uh, Tel Aviv is not the capital of Israel. Jerusalem's the capital of Israel. We had our embassy in Tel Aviv because the Palestinians lay claim to Jerusalem as well. And so it was viewed as if you have your embassy in Jerusalem, 
you, you are somehow favoring Israel's choice of its capital city. Now, mind you, we have our embassies in the capitals everywhere else on earth. <laughs> yeah, just, just this one exception that we, we didn't. When the Trump administration began, that there was a big debate within the administration about whether or not to move the embassy. Because presidents had been promising to do this for decades. It had been official U.S. policy, and just no one actually did it. Obama promised to do it. George W. Bush promised to do it. Bill Clinton promised to do it. Both Democrats and Republicans had broken that promise over and over and over again. Uh, In 2017, the Trump administration, both the State Department and the Defense Department opposed moving the embassy. Yeah. Uh, You had Rex Tillerson. He was Secretary of State. Uh, You had Jim Mattis. He was Secretary of Defense. And they both didn't want to move the embassy. And the reason they said they didn't want to move the embassy is they said it would enrage the enemies of Israel and the enemies of America. Um, This is a foreign policy battle I engaged in very actively. And so, I mean, I spent a lot of time talking to the president, leaning in, making the case. Look, the enemies of Israel and America, they hate us anyway. It's not like there's there's suddenly some other day where they break out in hosannas and, and start singing songs. You're not going to appease them. And that appeasement word, we're going to come back to that because that, okay. that appeasement word is very, very important for understanding the shift in path that led to this, this peace agreement the past week. There were voices in the White House who were arguing against moving the embassy to Jerusalem because they said this will make peace harder to achieve mm-hmm. in the Middle East. We want to see peace in the Middle East. If we move the embassy, it will tick off everyone who's angry with Israel, and that makes it harder to achieve. And you saw this throughout the mainstream media as well. This was being echoed in the popular press. And, and the case I made to President Trump and the case I made repeatedly in the White House is I said, look, there is virtue to clarity yeah. and lack of ambiguity. Mm-hmm. If we move the embassy... It will be seen by both our friends and our enemies as a statement that the United States stands unapologetically in foursquare with Israel and that there's a president who is not going to be cowed by the New York Times or CNN. Um, At the end of the day, the president agreed with me. He overruled his own State Department. He overruled his own Defense Department. And he moved the embassy. I was there when we opened the embassy in Jerusalem. It was in May of 2018. It was actually on the date of the 70th anniversary of the creation of the modern state of Israel. And it was it was powerful. It was emotional. There's literally dancing in the street in Jerusalem. It's I've been to Jerusalem four times. I've never seen jubilation like there was when we opened the embassy. And what I argued to the president when he was debating whether or not to move the embassy is I said, listen, our Arab allies Jordan, Egypt, the Saudis, UAE, said they will all publicly denounce the decision Yeah, because they feel they have to. For domestic political reasons, they'll feel obliged to denounce it. But what I argued is I said secretly they will be overjoyed. Hmm. And here's why. They will say a president with the backbone to move the embassy Maybe, just maybe, just maybe we'll have the backbone to stand up to Iran and stop Iran from getting nuclear weapons. And there are few things that have clarified the minds of our Arab allies more than the Obama-Iran nuclear deal, which put Iran on on a barreling path towards getting nuclear weapons. And and sent them pallets of cash, very famously, right? uh, Over $100 billion. Um. I do not believe it is a coincidence 
that the very same week we opened our embassy in Jerusalem is the week the president announced he was withdrawing from the disastrous Obama-Iran nuclear deal. Hmm. Those two were connected. Okay. And the same fight played out in the Trump administration. Hmm. On pulling out of the Obama-Iran deal, state was opposed, defense was opposed. Even though it was clear when when President Trump was running, he said, I'm going to get out of this Iran nuclear deal. The base hates it. So he actually didn't. Hmm. It is a little bit astonishing. The Iran nuclear deal is one of the issues on which Donald Trump and I sharply disagreed in the 2016 primary. Really? Well, I remember you were certainly opposed to it. So when I was running in 2016, I pledged to do five things on the first day in office, January 20th, 2017. One was move the embassy to Jerusalem. Yeah. Another was rip the Iran deal to shreds. So those were two of the five things I pledged to do. Um. Trump, as a candidate in 2016, explicitly disagreed with me. And he wow. said, no, I'm not going to rip the deal up. I'm going to renegotiate. I'm going to yeah. try to get a better deal. And so we had, we had. I mean, wow. in, in several presidential debates, we disagreed on this policy issue. Yeah. So you fast forward to 2017, there's a debate within the Trump administration. Tillerson and Mattis are both saying, stay in the deal. Mattis kept saying, a deal is a deal. America's given our word. Yeah. And I kept pointing out to to to. To Mattis, I said, no, America didn't give our word. Obama signed that agreement with the explicit opposition of the United States Congress. The America gives our word either when we pass a statute or a treaty ratified by the Senate. The Obama-Iran deal was neither. He, he made an end run to the UN hmm. to try to get around Congress and the opposition. Once again, Trump agreed with me and overruled his own state and defense department. Now let's fast forward to now. Those decisions, part of the reasons those decisions were so important is is you look at the UAE and Bahrain. You no longer had this moral ambiguity, this hand-wringing, this is, oh, we don't want to take a stance on Israel, we don't know what we believe, which I think prolonged conflict. You talked about appeasement. The Obama-Biden path was appeasement over and over and over again. It was undermining Israel. And undermining Israel ironically produces more terrorism, tension, warfare, dissension in the Middle East. In the last couple of weeks, I've spoken with the UAE ambassador. I've spoken with the Saudi ambassador. So Saudi Arabia has not normalized relationships But yet. We've been told there could be other countries, as many as nine countries, that will join on to this sort of a peace deal. And look, the Saudis are the the whale. They're, 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 They're the biggest of the players that is outstanding. Uh, and Bahrain is very closely allied w- with the Saudis. Uh, most people think that that Bahrain would not have done this yeah. without the Saudis at least giving implicit in- approval to it. The Saudis also announced, and this is historic as well, that they would allow Israel to have overflights, to have their their hmm. airplanes fly over Saudi Arabian territory. That's a big deal. Used to be Israel had to fly around Saudi Arabia yeah. because Saudi Arabia would not allow uh, Israeli planes in their airspace. Both the UAE ambassador and the Saudi ambassador in the past week when I spoke to them, they said, listen, we are doing this because we want to be friends with America, Hmm. because it is important for us to be friends with America. And we know that it is important to you for us to be friends with Israel. We we know where you stand. It's the clarity. And and, and they said, that's why we're doing this. There's something called the Iran echo chamber. Okay. 
So that was when Barack Obama was president. They were negotiating the Iran nuclear deal. There was a so-called echo chamber that that it, its locus was the National Security Council under Obama. Yeah. But it was reporters, it was academics, it was think tanks, and it was all these lefties who were pushing the Iran nuclear deal. Yeah. They viewed that as the single biggest foreign policy accomplishment of the, the Obama presidency. Yeah. And it's all predicated on appeasement. It's predicated mm-hmm. on if we give Iran $100 billion, they'll make nice and won't make nuclear weapons, even though the Ayatollah regularly chants death to America right. and death to Israel. <laughs> it should be made clear. This is not ambiguous here. You've got a country that chants death to America. You've got a country that is an open, explicit ally of the United States. And yet under the Obama administration, it made us all scratch our heads. They thought the path to peace was to make nice with the people chanting death to America. This obviously, look, Middle East peace is perhaps the most complicated foreign policy issue. So just to simplify here, because it seems like there's so many layers We were told for a very long time that supporting Israel was the cause of this chaos and violence in the Middle East. It would seem to be that the opposite has been proved true. We were told by the leaders of these countries that they hated our support for Israel explicitly. And yet behind closed doors and in their own interest, it would seem that they actually have supported American clear support for Israel. Is that right? Am I, am I, I clarifying here a little? I, I, I think that's right. On the latter point, they haven't as much explicitly supported it as I think it is in their interest. And, okay. and they are, you know, I've joked, you remember Barack Obama was given the Nobel Peace Prize in 2009, right after he was elected. He, he'd literally, I don't think he'd unpacked his boxes yet. No, I, he like, was still trying to find a stapler. I believe it was nine days after he uh, was sworn in. He was nominated for the Peace Prize. And and he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for not being George W. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> the, the fact that he was, by the way, why didn't you win a Nobel Peace Prize? You're I not George I'm waiting. W. Bush. I know. I, I, Where's my phone call? I, so they awarded him that prize. But you, you, you look at, I've joked that in retrospect, Obama may have deserved it hmm. because he did something heretofore impossible, which is he united the Arabs and the Israelis. All he had to do was put in place a plan to give $100 billion to the Ayatollah Khamenei that he could use to develop nuclear mm-hmm. weapons to threaten all of their lives. And suddenly the Jews and the Arabs are like, holy crap, are you out of your mind? <laughs> yeah. Well, because th- this introduces an aspect that I think is often overlooked when people are trying to gra- grapple with this, which is they, they think of the issue as Jews versus Muslims. And that's that's a simple. But of course, we're talking about nation states here. And there are a lot of these Arab states that don't particularly like Iran. So you've, instead of just two... And there's a divide between Sunnis and Shiites. And, exactly. and so Iran is a Shiite state and 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 most of the the, the Arab states are, are Sunni states. And so there's a religious divide with, within Islam between the Sunnis and Shiites. And, and they're fully aware of what Iran is capable of. I yep. mean, Iran is the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world, but yet... Both Obama and Joe Biden, who was very active in in foreign policy as vice president, they fully believed in appeasement. I've I've also joked there's a reason we we, we don't see the Neville Chamberlain School of Foreign Policy. Um, Neville Chamberlain was prime minister of Great Britain, uh, championed appeasement of Adolf Hitler and, and said, if we just give him what he wants... He'll leave us alone. Everything will be fine. And, and, and history teaches us that appeasement doesn't work, that it's provocative, that actually weakness and appeasement 
to a dictator, to a tyrant makes war more likely. This is where a lot of the media gets it backwards. Yeah. Listen, I, I agree with Ronald Reagan, who, who talked about and emphasized and built his foreign policy on peace through strength, yeah. that if you want to avoid war, be strong enough that no one wants to mess with you. Well, it, it's interesting on that point of peace through strength. And we, we were told at, at that time that Reagan's a cowboy, he's a warmonger, he's crazy. I guess we were told the same thing when the Trump administration came in as well. But there is an irony here to, to both of those administrations. We really did get that peace. I mean, it's not yeah. just an empty slogan. When you have weakness, you're inviting this kind of aggression. Look, in eight years in the White House, the biggest nation Reagan ever invaded was Grenada. <laughs> That's um, right. I, he... he was reluctant to use military force, mm -hmm. as Trump has been as well. And I think that is exactly right. I think there were too many cowboys in the GOP and the Democratic Party that that option A was always send the Marines. Yeah. And listen, if there's a threat to the national security of the United States, if Americans' lives are being threatened, that's what the, um, the armed forces is for, is to keep us safe. Yeah. But being reluctant to pull that trigger, I think, is the right thing to do, not to put our sons and daughters in harm's way. But also being clear and strong. It's why the moving the embassy was such an important yeah. pivot point. And, you know, look, I'll, I'll give you an example of, of Obama, Biden and their policies. Back in, I think it was 20, 2014, yeah. um, I was in Israel. And I had a meeting set up uh, with Netanyahu. Okay. And, and, and I've gotten to know Bibi well. Yeah. Um, and and the meeting was set up and, and the U.S. ambassador, the Obama ambassador, is a guy named Daniel Shapiro. And Shapiro told me the meeting was the next day with Bibi. And he said, he said, you are not meeting with Netanyahu without me. <laughs> he, just, he just said flat out, you are <laughs> yeah. not going to meet with him without huh. me. And and I said, well, listen, this this is a trip I set up. Yeah. I set up this meeting. I didn't go through you. Um, and you're not invited to the meeting. Yeah. You know, sir, I am a senator. You don't get to tell me what to do. Well, and and Shapiro comes back and he threatens me. He says, well, then I'll pull your security. So when you're traveling in Israel, you get a security detail from the embassy. Right. Um, he said, I'll pull your security. I said, fine. Within within an hour, I'll hire private security yeah. if you want to do that. And, I, and it was clearly a bluff. Yeah. They're not going to let a U.S. senator go without security. But what was obvious is John Kerry, who was secretary of state, had told Shapiro, you keep an eye on Cruz yeah. and don't you dare let him in a room together with Bibi. That, that, that we don't want this because they they hated Netanyahu yeah. and they hated they, me. Right. And the last thing they wanted was us talking to each other. <laughs> right. right. And, and so, but you got to picture it. So, so Ambassador Shapiro is not a very big guy. Yeah. <laughs> and we were literally bumping chests. <laughs> Standing Stop. in front of the Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament. Yeah. And we're, I mean, it was a junior high, like <laughs> chest to chest of him saying I'm coming and, and me saying, you're not invited. <laughs> and he backed down. And yeah. so the next day. Peace through strength. I, well, <laughs> and clarity and, and clarity lack of ambi force, yeah. ambiguity. Right. And, and, and so the next day, when you, when you go and meet with, with Netanyahu, there's a conference room that you do all the meetings in. And so if you look at any picture of any delegations that's in Israel, there's Israeli flags and you take a picture with the prime minister and you sit at the conference table and talk about issues. And so I've done that multiple times. Yeah. This time we'd prearranged with, with Bibi's office that we'd come into the conference room, but that Bibi would say, here, come on back to my office, Ted. 
And so I went back to his office, which is actually not that big an office. It's mm-hmm. right adjoining the, the conference room. And we sat down and, and, and I had brought two cigars. BB loves to smoke cigars. I knew I liked that guy. And, and we lit up two Monte Cristos and we sat there smoking cigars. And for, I don't know, an hour, maybe a little bit longer, we talked geopolitics. We mm-hmm. talked Middle East. We talked Middle East peace, America, the world. And, and I got to say, that may have been the single coolest moment I've had in the entire U.S. <laughs> right, like, right. like it – look, you, you get a chance to meet all sorts of people. You meet presidents. You meet senators. You meet cabinet officials. Yeah. You meet heads of state. Bibi Netanyahu is one of the most serious, impressive, brilliant world leaders I, I've ever encountered. Yeah. And I'm sitting there – smoking a Monte Cristo cigar in his office going, <laughs> what in the hell am I doing here? Like, holy, like, like yeah. it was, it, it, it was surreal. I kept thinking like it was candid camera. Someone was going to come out and right. say this was all a joke. <laughs> yeah. right. But part of it is Netanyahu has a seriousness, a gravity. Listen, he, he leads a country that historically has been surrounded by enemies that would drive them into the sea. Yeah. Um, and it, he's been running it forever, it seems. So let me give it an analogy from literature. Yeah. And you're going to laugh at what the literature is, um, which is a children's book okay. that I read as a kid. Did you ever read the series called The Great Brain? The Gra- no, I had, I didn't. Uh, I, this, I read The Mediocre Brain. I, that's probably, <laughs> uh, didn't work out. All right. So The Great Brain is a, yeah. is a, it's a seven book series that I read as a, I don't know, as a kid. It's by uh, John D. Fitzgerald, J.D. Fitzgerald. And it, and it, he is the younger brother, and it's talking about his – the middle brother, Tom D. Fitzgerald, and the older brother, Swen D. Fitzgerald. And Tom, the middle brother, is a con man. I mean he's just a huckster, and he he's always coming up with these sort of scams to con the other kids out of something. And sort of think Tom Sawyer and Painting the Fence, yeah. but, but every chapter was a different elaborate con. And they're growing up in Utah, um, if I remember correctly, at, at, at essentially the, the – turn of the 1900s, so late 1800s, early 1900s. And in, in one of the books early on, uh, Fitzgerald is explaining, he said, he said, you know, we're, when we were growing up in Utah, he said almost all the other kids were Mormon. Yeah. And he said, my family, we weren't Mormon. And he said, it really wasn't all that hard. It was simply a matter of me learning to whip all the boys my age and Tom D <laughs> learning to whip all the boys his age yeah. and Swendy learning to whip all the boys his age. And and once we did that, they were very, very tolerant. It's amazing how tolerant a boy can be when you can whip him. <laughs> and, There's a geopolitical lesson there. It, I read that probably at age 10 uh-huh. and it stuck in my brain then. And that's frankly Israel's view. It's it, yeah. It's amazing how tolerant their neighbors can be when Israel's military has defeated them over and over again, yep. and, and the qualitative military advantage they have yep. is is part of what produces peace in the Middle East. And so this past week was a big deal. It's a big deal. I think we should celebrate with Monte Cristos, and we will hopefully bring peace not just to the Middle East, but to the Southeast as well, and then rejoin you over here for the next episode. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz.
This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? Well, you could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable. So you can run big appliances like your fridge even longer. And best of all, the new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans already trust Patriot Power Generators. So go to the number four, patriots.com slash verdict to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included for free. Go right now to the number four, patriots.com slash verdict. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash Ben. hollywoodtakeover.com slash Ben. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.